Listening to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. We have Jeff here on the show. Uh, we are uh, joined by a friend of the show, multiple time uh, returning champion, uh, Lauren Jewett. Uh, how you doing, Lauren? Uh, she is running for Bessie, uh, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education this time. Uh, I don't know how she keeps getting roped into running for school boards, but she's doing it. How you doing, Lauren? Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a little bit tired. We're three days out from the big election day. So um, I'm just trying to store up energy for it. Yeah. And it's going to be released on election day. So it's <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. If you uh, are listening to the sound of my voice and you you know have not gotten out to vote yet, uh, do so now and get out and vote for uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now. There's statewide races, there's local races, there's just everything happening. So make sure you do it and vote. Um, so you are running for the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education. I have a question for you. First question, what the heck is the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education, Lauren? Um, well, this is a question I get from a lot of people, a lot of voters that I've talked with over the past two months. Um, obviously, you kind of said what the acronym is, but it, yeah, Bessie's our Board of Elementary and Secondary Education. Um, I kind of, you know, short notes, just tell people that it is our our state school board, essentially. Um, it is the administrative body that oversees um, all of our K through 12 schools in Louisiana, they adopt regulations, um, set policies that govern all of our public elementary and secondary schools. Um, and they also oversee our state's correctional institutions and mental facilities, like the educational units that take place there. Mm -hmm. Um, so they have a variety of different responsibilities. Um, like I mentioned, educational governance, uh, they are responsible for hiring and evaluate, evaluating our state superintendent. They deal with the financial oversight and allocation of funds. Um, you know, you might hear the word MFP thrown around or you might read about it in the news, um, but that's essentially just the funding mechanism for our schools. And there's different levels of it that help get funding to our students and help uh, with teacher pay raises and staff support pay raises. Um, they're also responsible for uh, how schools are rated and held accountable and evaluated as well as teachers um, and as well as education certification and the all the different types of um, particular charters um, schools that we have. So it, it does a lot of things. Um, there are 11 members on the Bessie board and eight of those are elected and three are appointed by our governor elect. So it is, it is a pretty big board. And this is a huge election because it's going to be a significant change to the Bessie board in this election because of, as you mentioned, I think are all of the seats up right now? Yes. Yes. So yeah. By whoever is elected the governor. So it's a big deal right now. Yeah, the Bessie elections always coincide with the gubernatorial election cycle um, so that the new governor um, who, you know, gets sworn in also has the authority to elect uh, to appoint three people. Um, but yeah, every seat is up. Um, even if someone's an incumbent, they are going to run again. Um, currently, um, as our Bessie board sits, we have three people, three seats that are term limited. So. Um, those people can't run again um and i'm running in one of those seats um, where the person who's currently in the seat has been in the seat for the past 16 years um ah, yes. 
Yeah. Jim Garvey. Uh, I remember him very well. Uh, so when I was, uh, I actually remember him specifically. He's a business guy. Uh, I remember him appearing at a, uh, it was a JFT function, my old union. And uh, when somebody asked him about like raises or like a, like a, you know, a certain amount of raises, he equated like a $5,000 or something like that teacher raise to a, a spoiled child uh, wanting a chi- an entire gallon of ice cream, which I really that, never forgot that. <laughs> That's quite an analogy. Um yeah, I yeah. mean, he is the he is the longest serving Bessie board member because he he got elected in two thousand seven. Um, he got into his seat with no opposition, um, as happens with a lot of our seats, um, in Louisiana, as we're even seeing with legislative seats this, um, cycle. Um, but because of when he got elected and term limits going into effect after his first term or in the middle of his first term, um. That's why he's been on there for 16 years. But um, if someone's the current term limits are three terms, which would be 12 years. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, um, I think there's a few incumbents who are running again, but it will be a, a, a fairly uh, new board um, majority-wise. Um, so there's a, yeah, there's a lot of shakeup happening with the Bessie board for this election. Yeah. And so, uh, so you are a teacher. Well, for people who haven't listened to our previous episode with you, you are a teacher also in New Orleans. Um, why are you running for Bessie Board? I mean, don't you aren't you busy enough? Don't you have enough to do? You know, Jeff, um, I'm tired. I really am. Um, but it's kind of duty calls. Um, volunteer is tribute <laughs> at this point. Um, because, as you know, for people who didn't listen last time or who aren't familiar with me i ran for the jefferson parish school board last fall um so this will and i and i ran in that primary and made my runoff by 10 votes um which is pretty extraordinary when we think about votes mattering um and (laughs) yeah so technically because i ran in a primary and a runoff last year um that counts as two elections in terms of ballot and uh, fundraising and, and the way that is counted and, and recognized. So um, this will be my third time running, or I guess I got to vote, um, you know, last week. And so it's like the third time I saw my name on the ballot in the last uh, year in less than a year. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, I knew this seat was going to be open, but I, I ran last year because, you know, I felt like I very much am in tune with the local stuff because I am an educator. You know, I live in in Jefferson Parish. I work in Orleans. um, But the issues that teachers face are very, very similar across Mm -hmm. districts. Um, And so, you know, once I did not get elected to the Jefferson Parish School Board, you know, I still stayed very active. I told my supporters that, you know, despite not winning, I was going to remain involved and remain vigilant about things that were going on. And and of course, within, you know, just a few months after the new board was seated in Jefferson, you know, schools were um, up for, um, you know, potential closure. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I went to those meetings, I saw students getting involved and advocating and speaking for their schools not to be shut down or for at least to be postponed. And, um, you know, it was very troubling to me to to see them leave that meeting in tears um, when the majority of people at the meeting speaking were youth. Um, mm-hmm. And it was beautiful to see them, you know, step up and, and be in a public meeting speaking um, and exercising that, that right. But it was also, again, on the flip side, um, upsetting because, you know, some of this is the first opportunity they were doing that. And then of course they didn't, you know, get the outcome that they so desperately wanted and also deserve. Um, And I, after that meeting and after those things were happening, I was, you know, going to meetings with families and parents and kids in the district um, and, and trying to kind of get a pulse on what was going on. um, And, Ultimately, I um, had some people come and approach me and say, like, what have you thought about running for Bessie? And I'm like, well, 
I'm really tired and, um, you know, I, I'm still recuperating from the last runs. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I, I asked around, um, you know, I'm not somebody who wants to step on somebody's toes. So I asked people who had previously run for the Bessie board um, in District 1, which is where I'm running. Um, I asked different community groups, hey, do you know that this is on the ballot in the fall? Um, do you know somebody like who lives in this district um, who might want to run? Um, you know, I'm going to get I, I would be happy to get behind them um, and do any kind of campaigning to make sure we get somebody in there who, um, you know, is going to be an advocate for public education and for our kids. Um, and I was getting kind of the same response as we started off this this interview uh, or talk and that people were like, well, what is Bessie? <laughs> so that was the reaction I was getting from some some groups. They're like, I don't know what that is, or I don't even know if I live in that district. And I was like, well, you do, you know, this is St. Tammany or this is, you know, this area of it. Um, so I was on the fence for a while. Um, I just finished about just, just under two months ago, I just finished graduating with my master's in English literature. So I was gone for, I was gone for a little bit in the summer. Um, I got my paperwork together before I left um, to go finish my coursework and gave it to my friend to serve as my proxy, um, just in case I was like, gonna go and do it. And I just told her to keep it safe. And I would let her know. And I decided pretty much at the end of July that I was definitively going to do this. Um, uh, and I, you know, you kind of know what's involved once you've gone through it one time. <laughs> um, so I, that's what I just knew that I was going to be up for the, um, the level of, of exhaustion while teaching full time. But I mean, I ultimately am doing it because, um, I believe uh, as I did last year when I ran that teachers need to be on our education boards locally and statewide. Um, we are one of the closest stakeholders to um, the things that go on daily in our schools. Um, and we need to have somebody up there who's not, uh, who's able to speak to the potential implementation gaps of policies. Um, and I just see a lot of the things happening um, since the pandemic with with teachers and schools. And um, I think it's it's really ripe for the time to have somebody up there who just, who just understands that and not only um, just being a teacher, but being a special education teacher, um, which has been my entire time in the classroom and my career. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues going on in our state for students uh, with disabilities. So, um, you know, I am glad I have this campaign has been really centered on no regrets um, because had I not had my paperwork filed, this would have been another situation of somebody um, not having to campaign for a seat and they would have walked into the seat because this is just myself and one other opponent. Um, yeah, and I, just, I just believe um, I believe it's really healthy for us to have contested races. Um, you know, even if it's an incumbent that we love, um, I think it's, it just makes us, a, it, it makes the competition of um, having, you know, a contested race, it does make um, the platform deeper. It makes us have more discussions about nuances and things. And um, if you want to call this a democracy, right? <laughs> right. But, but I do, I think it for, yeah, for, I just believe that we we should have a lot. We should not let races go uncontested. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm glad I'm in it. Um, but again, it's tiring. Yeah. Well, uh, you're listening to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. We have uh, we have Lauren Jewett on the program. Lauren is a candidate for the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education in District 1. Uh, I do want to circle back a little bit and talk a little bit about, uh, you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, a, a board meeting in Jefferson Parish recently uh, where there were school closures taking place. And uh, I mean, I've been to so many of those now at this point, it's not even funny. And every single time, it feels like it's almost the exact same thing. You have students, you have teachers, you have people from the community all saying, hey, 
we don't want you to close these schools. We don't want you to do this. We don't want you to take this course of action or do, you know, do this or whatever. And it is, I mean, at least the first time you would see it, I mean, it became less and less shocking over time, but it is genuinely shocking to watch like school board members when they're in the midst of these like, like, you know, huge stakes situations where people are like pouring their heart out and saying, please don't close my school. And they literally, it feels like they have their fingers in their ears and they're just like, you know, screw you. We, we don't care what you have to say at all. It's shocking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, and, and like I said earlier about people running for positions, I mean, almost a majority, like four positions in that board didn't, they walked into yeah. those, seats. they didn't have to contest, they didn't have to talk to the community. You know, I, I campaigned longer than, you know, other than the person who got in the seat that I was running for. I mean, I campaigned longer than any of those uh, mm -hmm. board members because I had to can't, I mean, I had to campaign through that primary and then another month into December, into December. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when you really, have to talk to people and and ask for their vote and and hear about the concerns that they've had and the stories that they share with you on the doors or on the phones like you carry those stories with you onto that onto that uh board seat and um i i just um yeah it's just disappointing um to to sit there and i mean i did i did get some contact back from some board members who who kind of had some similar responses and said that part of the reason they were moving forward with the uh, infrastructure and efficiency plan um, was to address the teacher shortage. But um, not surprisingly, um, the teacher shortage has actually worsened um, in Jefferson <laughs> Parish. It's actually quite out of control um, compared to earlier this spring in April when that, that board meeting took place. Um, and it, and it's, it's, it's a lot of the, um, it's it's surprising to me. I can't believe it when you show teachers and students and community that you don't care what they have to say. People quit. Weird. I'm sorry. I'm being maybe a bit flippant or like a little bit grumpy here. But like <laughs> a lot of action yeah. from my time as a teacher. It's just like one right. of those that really yeah. like I that really kind of like made me feel quite demoralized in the entire process. And yeah. like that's part of the re I mean, that's one of the reasons I had to leave, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you're not alone. I mean, and it's 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 continuing more, and it's you know obviously. Lauren, I lost you. Are you there? And we were saying this. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think like you're right. Um, when you don't listen to people, they do feel demoralized. And um, there are other districts that are dealing with their own issues, also dealing with teacher shortages, but not to the extent um, of the parish that I live in. Mm -hmm. um, and I do take it personal, not only just as an educator, but somebody who lives in this district. Um, and I just you know, talk to those teachers and school staff and I see it on, I see it on social media and I'm seeing what's going on. And I'm like, this is not okay. Um, you know, when you run for, when you, when you run for public office, you run for public service, like you are trying to make things better, not make things worse. Um, and of course your the decisions may be made that do have unintended consequences, but like, again, People are telling you these are the consequences of things that are going to happen. Teachers will leave. Mm -hmm. Students will have conflicts because they will be going into different um, school communities than they were part of. And what has happened is, yes, there are more shortages. Students have had fights and conflicts. Um, and, you know, I, again, we we told them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's not it's like the unintended consequences thing t but it's also the kind of like the sort of feeling 
that okay we brought all of our teachers here we had our you know people at this school that they're going to close we had them express that they didn't want to close and they didn't care they didn't even they didn't even they listened to us because they had to legally and that is literally it they endured listening to us and did what they were going to do anyway you know that's just uh the part i can't get i couldn't get past over and over again and you know i don't know <laughs> it was pretty rough yeah anyway um just to kind of move forward um when it comes to um the things that you are running on what are, what are some of the sort of planks that you're putting out there for as you run for a school board or Bessie board yeah so i mean some of my some of my platform is a little similar to last year um so you know i mean consistency and what i care about and what i know to be true um as an educator but um you know advocating for the teachers and students mental health is incredibly important to me um you know we continue to see that need um so any anything i can do to to ensure that we are creating school communities that provide holistic supports for our young people and for our school staff is 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 heavy on my mind um prioritizing teacher quality as well as the pay increases um because i was up there in baton rouge earlier this spring when you know we had the potential to get a teacher pay raise that was permanent and a school staff pay raise that was permanent and ultimately the legislature did not um, give us that. We got a we got a stipend, but you know, people might be campaigning and say, "Oh, teachers got got a raise," but it's not a permanent raise. You know, it's going to go away after this year. And as we know in Southeast Louisiana, um, you know, we have rising insurance costs. Um, we have you know this this impending salt water intrusion um all these things that cost money i mean um that like and then we did you know we didn't get anything that actually like help us with our quality and cost of living um you know relative to all the other costs of living that are going up so um the teacher pay raise is very important of course we have to work in concert with the governor who is elected and our new legislature to ensure that that happens you know at the end of the legislative session on the last very last day they put a little i guess footnote or you know line item in the budget and just said well we hope we can get this in the mfp next year mm. and you know it's like we could have done that we had you know um a um we had budget surpluses we could have done it um and it was a slap in the face to educators and um school staff to not get that through um and then just saying well we hope we can get it through next year it's like well, we have a whole new set of players right and of course you know you'll have some incumbents in the legislature so there's relationships there but like relationships have to be built as mm -hmm. an educator i know that like you know you can't just like get things going from day one you have to build those relationships you have to build the trust um, you have to, you know, work across the aisle. You have to do those things. And this is going to take everybody who's in the government to help ensure that we get, you know, those pay raises. And not only we know, it's not just the pay raises that are driving teachers out of the profession. Mm -hmm. It's also the working conditions. Um, and so I, 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 as a candidate, I will ensure that our working conditions are uh, sustainable um i know <laughs> what it feels like to have to deal with everything and not feel like i have time for a bathroom break or time to eat my lunch and like these are inhumane working conditions like and we are the people that are taking care of children and, mm -hmm. children. and clear like it seems to me it seemed to me like at times when i was a school teacher back in the day you have like the things that are extremely important like the legal things that are required and then like for, like you would just have like oh yeah you can have like a bunch of different little multiple variables you know like 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 you know um i don't know just like like sundry things that you would just like pop up and like oh yeah you need to do this too and all you know all these other kinds of things that yeah. would, would, would would be i i don't know it was it was it was a really difficult to even keep track of all that stuff at times right. And we're not, and, and what's not happening is we keep adding to teachers' plate, but not removing anything. Um, mm -hmm. So 
um, when we talk about quality, it's like a qualified educator is also going to have boundaries and they're going to push back on things. I mean, they're going to do things because they do care about their job. They love kids. But like at the end of the day, we're human too. And we need to have holistic evaluation protocols and we need to know what is reasonable um, to preserve our energy because it, teaching is a very energy demanding job. Um, and to show up every day um, and be on for kids, um, we need to, you know, we need to make sure that we're not, you know, requiring teachers to bring all this excess paperwork home and excess things home to do um, mm -hmm. because then we are not coming back rested and ready for kids. Um, so that is super on top of my mind. Um, you know, fighting for the public transparency and accountability. Um, we need to ensure that we know where the money is going. Um, uh, I want to ensure that public knows um, how money is getting from Baton Rouge into the um, into the classrooms, into our teachers, um, and, and really looking carefully at how money is spent, um, as well as making sure that we protect public education. You know, there are we do have different models of schools, um, and some of them are doing what they need to be doing, and they're educating kids and they're providing those results. Um, but we also have a lot of situations where schools are not um, accountable to taxpayers um, and not accountable to um, doing what they are supposed to be doing in terms of the law, special education law. Um, and, you know, I want to ensure that we have public education as a viable option for our families. Um, I grew up going to K through 12 public school and it was a very important part of my education. Um, and I know that many of our families um, do rely on it and don't have the means to be sending their kids to private schools. Um, but then we shouldn't also be offering things like vouchers or ESAs that then take that money and then the money is then not publicly accountable. And they're sometimes taking families and we know this families have taken those, those, those dollars and gone to schools that are also poorly performing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm for schools that are not creating economic disparities um, or further segregation for our kids. Um, and that again, are schools that are also following the law um you know so yeah that 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 i mean we we see an attack on public education um not just in this state but in many states across this country mm -hmm. um and i think it's part of a larger agenda to to dismantle it um and i think if we actually funded our schools properly and gave them what they actually needed then every school would be great we need to focus on making every school great instead of having these debates and battles over like all these this and that like you know because again these schools that are taking you know kids or families are taking money to go out of the public school some they're not they're not performing well either so um we, we need to ensure that every kid gets quality education um and that's what bessie's job is um so you know, those are some of the things um, and, and ultimately, you know, making sure our schools are safe um, and promoting equity and achievement for all of our students. Um, I will stand strong um, in making sure all of our kids um, and families feel included and that they feel affirmed, um, you know, because that's part of a hallmark of public education. We welcome every child and family that walks through our doors and every educator that walks through our doors um, who wants to teach our kids like they need to be able to, to do that. Um, and not feel discriminated against, not feel bullied, and not feel harassed. Great. Um, I guess one final question, and we can uh, move on. Uh, so when it comes to, you know, getting that message out and, and support for um, your campaign, what are, who are some of the people that have sort of been the most responsive to that? Like, have you had really great conversations at the doors? Who are some of the, you know, groups and organizations that have gotten behind you and supported you? Uh, how is that side of the whole campaign going? Yeah, I mean, this this campaign, this campaign cycle is quick. Like I told everybody two months ago, I said, I'm going to blink and it's going to be over. Um, and, and that's that has been so true. Um, and that also is another reason why I'm like, I can get in this. I can do this. Like, it's just two months. Um, 
uh, it's going to be two months of adrenaline. But, um, you know, I have some some groups supporting me that supported me last year. Um, you know, my my home union, United Teachers of New Orleans, um, they're they have endorsed me um, yet again um, because I also got the Greater New Orleans AFL-CIO endorsement. So they've been helpful. They're going to be putting out some of my signs this weekend. Um, and, you know, I got the, the state level, um, unions. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. LFT as well as the Louisiana association of educators has a fund for, for children in public education. And they, um, have provided financial donations to me that have made it, um, viable for me to be able to make voter contact, which is, is my number one thing as a candidate is, um, you know, it's great to have, signs and social media and it's great to have endorsements um because you know some endorsements come with people who are going to do some work for you um or provide some support and sometimes endorsements are just endorsements in name only um but they have you know voters in those groups but at the end of the day um aside from all those things you, the voters are the people that truly matter because those are the people I'm going to represent and those are the people that go out to the polls um and elect people so um yeah, um, I have also um, have uh, the endorsement of New Orleans DSA, um, and they have done a lot of groundwork for me in terms of door knocking um, and have shown up, um, you know, because this is a fast election cycle and it's during so many other competing demands for people's time. Um, it's funny, I don't feel like I have as many volunteers as I do last year, but maybe I do, and it just looks different because <laughs> and they're more condensed. Um, but yeah, I've gotten theirs. I've gotten the IWO, got the State Democratic Party, Forum for Equality PAC, um, Alliance for Good Government, um, and Every Town for Gun Safety. So, I mean, I've gotten quite a bit of endorsements. And again, some of these are repeats from last year. I still had to go back and earn those endorsements. Um, and, it's it, you know, I'm proud to have the backing of groups that see the importance of, of someone like me as an educator who's going to be, you know, able to represent um our teachers and our families and our kids great um well where can people get more information about your campaign and how can people uh help out if they're interested uh my website is www.laurenjewett.com i am number 42 on the ballot um your time is ticking it's the last few days of the election so we will be pushing hard to text bank phone bank sign wave, um, lit drop canvas, um, do everything we can. Um, I know, again, like I said, there will be no regrets um, with this campaign. I am happy that I'm in this race. Um, and I just have to know when I rest my head at night that I did everything possible to get myself elected, um, you know, because you can't, can't know if you don't try. Um, and that, again, is like, why I'm doing this, um, you know, and um, I feel really honored that um, I'm, I'm running. Great. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, uh, for, you know, joining us on the show. The one, the only, Benjamin Hoffman. How you doing, bro? I'm good. Uh, you said the one, the only, but there's totally a like a way more famous Benjamin Hoffman. Who? I don't know if the more famous. You're the most famous Benjamin Hoffman I know. He had a show on Comedy Central. Really? Was he funny? Uh, I don't know. I think he was funny. I remember it was like right when I started doing comedy. <laughs> he like had that show, and then he uh, he did Mark Maron's podcast. And okay, I know Mark Marin. I had a bunch of people uh, like texting me, like, "Wow, dude, congratulations! Your career is <laughs> going so well, so quickly." <laughs> you really, you really started off hot. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Yeah, no, it was great being in the garage." <laughs> yeah, that's great. And yeah, now you're doing. Uh huh. What'd you say? Oh, I say I just I just ran with it. I just pretended it was true. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. totally. Absolutely. Mark's great. Act natural. Yeah. <laughs> WTF. <Not a> cat. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, man. Uh, so you, I mean, I mean, for people that don't, you know, that in this city, I guess people do, but I mean, you're one of the founding members of DSA New Orleans. Uh, and I mean, you were one of the people that I worked with on the, well, I didn't, I wasn't closely associated with it, but like the, the very first break light clinic, all that other stuff, we've been on local council a couple of times, all that stuff. So it's finally good to, 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 to chat with you, you know? Yeah, no, appreciate being here. Yeah. And so now, uh, you work for a climate nonprofit now, and, uh, I guess, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm working for Sunrise New Orleans. Uh was actually on the station um, like a couple weeks ago ahead of the Death to Fossil Fuels march. But yeah, Sunrise New Orleans is garnering support uh, in Orleans Parish and around to oppose the build-out of LNG, so liquefied natural gas. Um mm-hmm. There are export facilities that are being built in Plaquemines Parish, and those are specifically the ones that we're opposing, but you can't really do anything in a vacuum. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just getting people together here to be part of that fight. Cool. And and so a lot of the work you do is like organizing, or is it more political, or is it kind of both? Uh, it is organizing. It is. Uh, it cannot legally be... <laughs> Political campaigning based on the way because I get profit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, there's a lot of like work. Like I've, I've, one of the things that I've do that work, but I can't. So you know, <laughs> yeah. One yeah, of the things that I learned really quickly when I went from like teacher to like working for a union is just like all of the like weird, like idiosyncratic rules that that that, that apply. Like a lot of the like you know, nonprofit or whatever, or what, what political work and what political work you can't do. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of completely insane in Byzantine. Yeah. Especially like, I always think, uh, like campaign finance rules and laws are like, you know, some of them are probably good in a vacuum, but in a world where corporations are people, it's like, well, at that point, what is even the (laughs) point of these? like having anything on the books yeah just like elect yeah elect a like an nft who cares like it doesn't matter at that point (laughs) it's the equivalent of like when they would used to have like a dog as the mayor of some town like why the hell why the hell not you know (laughs) is that a real thing that happened oh yeah that's happened i think somewhere in like it was either minnesota or like alaska or somewhere where i mean i don't know it was like some municipal office and a dog like gets elected like mayor or whatever was that that's what that movie lords of dogtown was about <laughs> i think it's more like i'm think maybe it is but i'm also thinking like Airbud, like ain't nothing in the rules that the dog can't be the mayor <laughs> yeah i mean why not you know it'd be cute yeah, but uh, so uh, you mentioned the the growth of uh, liquid nat- uh, natural gas LNG in Louisiana. Is that something that I mean? Obviously, we live in one of those states that is, um, I mean, basically bought and paid for by fossil f- fuel. At least the pol- politics of it are. So I imagine like we're the cutting edge nationally for for LNG now, or is that are we kind of like what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, it's the Gulf Coast. Uh, so it's specifically export, um, exporting liquefied natural gas, which is uh, just to say methane. Like they try and gussy it up, but it's fracked gas. It's methane. Mm-hmm. So the extraction of it, fracking, is already extremely dangerous. And then there's right. a lot of pipeline infrastructure that has to be put in place to move it from one place to another. And then they put it through a process where they super cool it to a liquid so they can put it on barrels and then put it on ships and then ship it abroad to places uh, like Europe that are affected by the war in Ukraine and like the, the natural gas market fluctuations of, you know, global conflict. So it's basically disgusting. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's war profiteering and it's dangerous to human beings and the general environment at every step. That's before yeah. it even gets burned. And then once it's burned, it, you know, contributes to global warming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, like what we're seeing right now, like, you know, it's it's definitely not like a one to one thing by any means. But this is going on in Plaquemines Parish, which is immediately most affected by the salt wedge already. Like they've had contaminated water, heavy metals. I don't know if that's totally confirmed, but I'm pretty sure heavy metals and like way too much salinity in their water. And you know, it's uh, LNGs are a massive user of water in a place that desperately needs it. And then they also, Especially right now, you know, they have these gigantic ships that um, only can navigate the river because of the dredging that's been done, which is a pretty much direct cause of the salt wedge incursion. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you mentioned the salt wedge here, but it's like, mm-hmm. it is a, it's a major factor for sure. Yeah. And so I did want to ask about the salt wedge and for people that might not, for people, I guess, who are under a rock, uh, can you sort of describe what that is and what's going on there? I mean, I can try. I like, I, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, just because I happen to work as an organizer in an environmental nonprofit that I like am slightly privy to more information than anyone else. Cause <laughs> in general, I'm kind of an idiot. Um, so I really think that this information should be put out there more, but Mm -hmm. yeah, salt water is coming up, uh, the Mississippi river, it's going to get into people's drinking supply. It's dangerous for people to drink salt water. And then on top of that, the real risk is that it goes into lead pipes and, Mm -hmm the salt is corrosive and you know, potentially like a million people could be at risk for lead poisoning. There was good news today, according to the sewage and water board that the incursion, at least in Orleans parish and like granted people in Plaquemines are already dealing with this. That should be the beginning of the conversation, but uh, that in Orleans parish, the salt won't get there as soon as, was originally expected, which was October 28th. Now they're saying sometime in um, mid to late November, I believe. Just in time Um, for Thanksgiving. There's there's a massive pipeline being built, uh, but a good pipeline sounds like, uh, to bring water from just north of Kenner uh, into the Orleans Parish Supply so that way there'd be water that wasn't so salty that it gave everyone yeah. lead poisoning. Yeah, the so-called Kenner hump, which just sounds yeah, wrong. the Kenner hump, which just sounds I like mean, that, that should not be. That's a gift for like every lazy Mardi Gras crew that it oh yeah they're doing like you know that there's satire. You know that there's going to be a flirty girl Kenner hump T-shirt. Like that's going to happen. Oh yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, I mean, my mom and my brothers and, my, and like, you know, a lot of my friends still live there, and I keep like telling them, like, you know, kind of pumping them for information, like, what's going on, what's happening, like, do you need to evacuate? Do you need to come here? You know, it's like one of those kind of sort of situations where I'm I'm thinking about that like a lot lately. I mean, I think worst case scenario, yes, but that's like pretty unlikely. Mm-hmm. I think, I hope. You think? You hope. Um, but I, yeah. I mean, the salt slowing down, and it sounds like they're making pretty, pretty solid progress on the pipeline. Like that makes a huge difference because if mm-hmm. those things don't work, then you know we could be facing salty water coming through our pipes for months, and that's just not sustainable. Yeah. And, and again, when you look at how like the United States has, you know, responded to other uh, catastrophes, 
I mean, this sounds similar to the Flint New Michigan. I mean, potentially, you know, worst case scenario yeah, with Flint in the or Jackson. Yeah, Jackson. Like it sounds like one of those things. And 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 I mean, obviously, it's New Orleans. We all know how the government responded after Katrina um, here as well. So like, it's like one of those sort of situations where you can sort of slowly see the potential of like a national disaster response coming here again. And we know we already know here that it's going to be bad. Yeah, and I just think it's important that people have time to prepare for these kinds of things. Yeah. You know, whether that's, you know, and people have time to prepare and the information to prepare. So, like, Mm -hmm. does it make sense for people to be checking the salinity levels coming out of their tab? Do they know how to even do that accurately? Like, Mm -hmm. are they using the right types of tests? Do they know how to read these tests? Can you test for lead? Should you be storing a bunch of water? Like, there's, you know, do you need to make plans to leave? Like, these are things that people can't do on the fly. So the earlier we can start preparing people for this, the better. And I understand the impulse to not want to put false information out and not cause a panic. And I think that's important, but like, when the way you do that is by just assuring people that things are going to be fine when they have in their lived memory a reason to think that things might not be fine, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not helping anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have people couldn't... like me coming out and be freaking out essentially. Like, <laughs> because you know what's going on. <laughs> or maybe, um, I don't know. I know, oh, you know, to know, you know more than, now. you know enough to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and i don't know i keep like not to keep like knocking on this but like the it also does kind of suck as well the, the part of this whole thing where like i mean i i agree with you that like people on the individual level should be prepared and like have their own options for what they should do but also like how do we talk to how do we like you know Obviously, it's probably too late for this one, but maybe for the next one, potentially. How do we have, like, community ready to have people help one another uh, when these situations happen? And and to a certain extent, there is a natural sort of support that people do um, provide for one another. But how do you organize that, I guess you could say? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, like, different types of response. Obviously, like, mutual aid is going to be important and people will be able to, you know, find their trusted networks and plug into those things and hopefully build political power through it aside from just being able to survive, which is, you know, worthy and important, but like in addition to the mutual aid component of making your way through this, you have to figure out how to have coherent policy demands and put pressure to make sure that, you know, if this, becomes a housing crisis where, you know, the pipes really are unsafe, that there aren't like evictions or that people have a safe way to return if they do evacuate for a while or people get help evacuating. You know, there are so many different things that we need to put pressure on the government to do uh, because otherwise they probably won't. Yeah, right. We almost know, we know they almost certainly won't. They'll they'll let us, I mean, again, this is, I mean, we saw what happened after Katrina, but instead of coming with water, they came with tanks. You know, it's like one of those sorts of situations where, you know, the city already has a within, um, within one lifetime's memory of a failed government response. And I don't know that one would be, like, it's almost expected at least that it's going to be bad. That makes sense. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, people have a skepticism toward these like different agencies and bodies and you can't really blame them. And yeah. you know, that that's whether or not it's sometimes mm-hmm. you should be trusting, you know, what these people are saying. And there are definitely good people in these departments, but mm-hmm. if there isn't like a 
forthrightness and transparency from the jump, then it's only going to contribute to sort of like a muddled understanding of what is and isn't the right thing to listen to. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. Uh, we have Benjamin uh, Hoffman on the show. Not the one and the only, apparently. There's There are others. But uh, we're talking kind of about um, really kind of downer stuff. I didn't expect to start the conversation on the downer. Like, but, like, we had uh, just started talking about, like, the climate and natural gas and all those other things. But uh, I, I, uh, one of the solutions, potentially, or at least a pathway towards solutions that could, that we can, you know, look at what, uh, you know, is the or at least the state of where we're at came out just as of recording today the um the essay new orleans voter guide um and i do you want to talk about the how we put out a voter guide every year and maybe talk about the context contents of this one uh yeah so dsa new orleans um i imagine if you're listening to this you probably are a little bit familiar but we're uh, a chapter of the largest socialist organization uh, in America's history, or at least in the last like hundred years, yeah. um, fully democratic participatory organization. We don't get money from anywhere else and we don't get ideas from anywhere else. It's all member led, member funded. We decide everything democratically and, uh, you can join today at dsausa.org slash join. Uh, but our chapter, we put out a voter guide for basically every election and in new Orleans, we're always voting. So we're kind of always putting these things out. Uh, but yeah, they, it's not like a vote for this person. Don't vote for this person. They're, uh, political education resources that help dive into the history of who these people are, what these offices actually do, what the underlying, allegiances and alliances and power struggles are um, in, you know, municipal and state politics. And uh, yeah, we're, we're voting for governor and a bunch of other important races. And that's what we covered this time. Our chapter um, endorsed, voted overwhelmingly to endorse Mandy Landry in uh, District 91 and uh, Lauren Jewett for Bessie, which is state school board in uh, the state school board district one. Um, yeah, they're both amazing candidates, done some door knocking for them and people are excited about it. We also yeah. uh, recommended, we didn't endorse, we have like an internal difference. Um, a lot of it's just process wise. But we recommended Pearl Ricks for the new district, District 23, as well. That's great. You know, I just learned about Pearl um, recently. I'm not connected like I used to be to the city, uh, but they seem really cool and uh, really like somebody that the the could, we could use in the the um, in the legislature. And I don't know, it, it like is money like dark and bleak, like and horrible things come out of there. At least like seeing something. Or at least people get behind someone that's that's really good. Like Mandy, for example, is like it's pretty exciting. I don't know. We had Mandy on the show last week, and uh, we talked a little bit about this kind of stuff. And it was really nice to sort of see somebody who actually cares about and like is willing to uh, reach out to like people uh, in groups. And she's a member of BSA now. I mean, that's part of the requirement for our endorsement. Um, and then Lauren, Lauren's actually an old friend of mine. So that was, that was really cool to see her get, get up, uh, supported by the chapter. Yeah, but, no, I mean, it's cool to, to see people that frankly are like willing to be vocal about the failings of the state democratic party. Um, oh my gosh. Just, you know, like we've got to build something, some sort of like different way that people can actually, you know, plug into the electoral sphere because the Democratic Party in the state is willing to just seed races to not support candidates down the ballot and then actively oppose the most progressive and <laughs> beloved legislature. <laughs> legislature we right. have. Maybe, I, I, so. I mean, 
I mentioned this to, to, to Mandy and she sort of like, you know, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't like controversial about it or anything, but it is so crazy. So unbelievable that they couldn't eat the Louisiana Democrats couldn't even get uh, enough people in place to contend for a majority in either of the legislative houses in the state of Louisiana. But they are coming out both both barrels blazing for District 91, like second term uh, Congressman Mandy Landry having the governor endorse against her, her opponent and all these other things. It's just like y'all hate her. Yeah, supporting it's a, just supporting a, a Republican. Republican. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so wild. Just see, I mean, like these are your Democrats in this state, you know. And I was on the committee. I was on the central committee, and I was on the executive committee, and I just sort of like see how it ticks. And that central committee is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I don't know. I've thought about running for like either the DSCC or like OPDEC or something at some point. So, listeners, if I do vote for me at some point, <laughs> I'm not doing it right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't. Uh, considering this was community radio, we can't officially endorse Benjamin. But but you know, he's a good guy. <laughs> he's a good guy. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> for this theoretical race, I'm not even in. Vote for me for president too. Who cares? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's right. That's right. Don't come at us, FCC. Um, no. Um, but like like but seriously, like this is just a complete and utter disaster that we're dealing with, with the legislature, I mean, with the Democratic Party. And we're looking at, like, Jeff Landry, the, the, the specter of, like, a Jeff Landry's Louisiana and a, like, triple, triple Republican, like, double, like, supermajority in both houses and the governor. They have the entire legislature and the Louisiana Democratic Party does is totally fine with the whole thing. You know, like, what do you do? To even stand up like to, to, where do you start in terms of fixing this problem you know that's sort of the question that i even like keep going over in my head i mean you start at your block i think is mm-hmm. like the you start at your workplace like mm-hmm. it would be nice if we had well-developed networks um it would be nice if there was <laughs> if we could do shortcuts, but it's organizing, no shortcuts. Like, where do you start? You find an organization that you trust, that you can plug into, that you can meaningfully affect. You try and unionize your workplace. You try and organize your block. And that's just how it goes. And when it's a, you know, it's at this point, it's a matter of survival. Like, I feel like it's, you know, Landry is an existential threat to mm-hmm. our state. Uh, like we're at the front lines of climate change in every way. And we have the industries that are contributing most heavily to climate change. We have, you know, an agricultural policy that incentivizes people to not farm crops that we can eat, but things that we ship or to sit entirely on land. Um, and that contributes even you know, further to climate change. We have, I mean, I could go on and on and on about all the things that are like awful, the sending too many people to prison, this and that, but like, there's a reason we all stay here and it's because you know the culture is amazing. So it's worth fighting for. And I think the way that you, you have to do it is to not look at everything and say, this structure is against me and I'm overwhelmed. This structure is against me. I'm overwhelmed. It's to actually like connect with people in your life. And, you know, like that's why the workplace is such an important place for struggle because we spend so much time there and, you know, there are structures that we can inherently shift um, mm-hmm. it's same with, you know, neighborhood struggle. Like we, we, we know our neighbors, we, we live here. Um, so you just got to find people and like, it's always, it's, it feels worth it to participate. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. do it. It's fun. It's, it's better than being like alone and scared. 
Yeah, no, 100%. And like on that sort of like the structures is against us sort of like thing that people say all the time. And it's not even to say that they're wrong, but like just because the structure is against you doesn't mean you can't change it by you just have to engage with it in some manner. Now, what that whether that manner is to overturn it or at least to like minimize minimize the worst that it can do to you you have to at least be like covering your covering that front in the sort of class war you know what i mean yeah and like i don't know if you don't know how to fight against it that i mean that's your you probably have a correct analysis because you can't do it alone like, no absolutely not yeah you have to find other people and you have to figure out how to fight together because it's not like this is something we can solve theoretically in our heads. The only way we can do it yeah. is if we like actually form the relationships with each other that are strong enough to build something better. So mm-hmm. you have to talk yeah. to people, like yeah. which is what people are missing in their lives anyway and what so many of these structures lead to. You know, like we're burning all this carbon for a culture that in a lot of ways sucks, you know, we're, we're doing all this. So more people drive cars. So there's less green space to walk around. We're doing this. So we, you know, have a food system that doesn't lead to being able to eat like nourishing, delicious food that comes from, you know, where you live, but it's piped in and then you're more likely to just sit at home and watch TV. Like it's all sort of, uh, you know, a, a death cult of boredom and the way out of it is to just talk to people, Yeah, which is like, yeah, you know, you have to, that's what organizing is. It's just talking to people. I mean, there are people that are a lot better at it than me who have, you know, strategies that are more developed than me, but like why I've always taken to organizing is like, it's just an opportunity to like ask someone what they care about and be like, okay, well, let's do something about it. Yeah. And, and yeah, you can't like, like obviously, and it's not like even like to say like, you know, to, to like invalidate the feeling of like loneliness or isolation, like every, like, it's like gravity within the structure, like within the, within the system, right. You mentioned car. If you can't, you can't live without a car. Well, I guess you, you can live without a car in New Orleans, but like in most cities in America, you can't, or especially if you live in like suburbs or anything like that. So that means that you are essentially depend, like forced to be in a vehicle, which means you are isolated from everybody else in your own little bubble, right? And that's sort of like mm-hmm. the thing. And then, and, then, and then when COVID happened, that was like one of the most sort of like an isolating um moments socially and like physically for people when you're supposed to shelter in place stay away from one another and all these other things so like i don't know there was a uh there is there is i guess soft ways and like hard ways where where these you know this atomization takes place i guess i don't know yeah definitely but we're all like we're all experiencing it though mm-hmm. you know so if we're all experiencing isolation then that's a shared experience so it's something yeah. we can connect up like yeah totally there's always going to be something be it the place you know the that you work for a living or that you have a landlord that you pay rent to or that food costs too much or whatever it is there's always things that that people can come together over <laughs> a salt wedge that's something that people can come around together around hopefully yeah, survival. Um, survival. Like, literally survival. Like, it can't be any more real than that. Uh, let me pause for station ID. You're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade, uh, Jeff and Benjamin Hoffman. Uh, we're just kind of talking about um, the, you know, ways that people can come together and, and other things like that. Um, I don't know. What else am I, what else is going on around there uh, these days? In New Orleans, yeah, I mean, the Pelican season. I'm excited about that as a basketball fan. But <laughs> is it almost? Is it really almost time? Like it's almost October, right? Oh, it is October. Holy <laughs> wow, dude! It's this October week has 5th. been crazy. Happy birthday, this week mom! Been crazy it's for me. Mom's birthday. 
oh, happy birthday to Benjamin's mom. But uh, yeah, the, the Pelicans are, yeah, they're coming back. Uh, World Series, I guess. The Saints are terrible. Uh, just all the stuff. I, I cannot believe that, <laughs> like, in that in that um, Green Bay game when uh, when Derek Carr went down, it, it was just like the like every it was over. Like the season had ended already. It felt like, and they blew that eighteen point lead. Ugh, unbelievable. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I just I invest entirely into one sport, which is basketball, because I can only handle so much disappointment. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair. That's fair. Well, you're going to get it with the Pelicans, but at least they're fun to watch. <laughs> um, well, cool. Um, are you, so are, do you still do comedy? Are you still doing comedy these days? Um, and if so, like, yeah, most definitely. Uh, yeah. People should come out on uh, October 14th at 8 p.m. at the Always Lounge for Moral Panic. It's a monthly stand-up showcase that I produce with uh, Mary Devin Dupuy, Kamari Stevens, and Michael Glaviano. Really? Okay. I didn't realize that uh, y'all are back on the uh, back on the monthly scene. How, how, so you said the 14th? Yep, second Saturday of every month at the Always Lounge at eight o'clock. Oh, okay. And if people wanted to get more information about it, like, is there a website or anything where they can like RSVP for that? Yeah, Instagram, Moral Planet. Just, just show up. Just if you hear comedies going on, show up to it. But especially what's going on <laughs> at the Always Lounge. <laughs> cool, man. Well, um, I think that could do it. We can wrap it up there. But uh, awesome talking with you, brother. It's been it's been too long. Next time yeah, I'm in town, I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to holler at you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. Of course. Well, thanks uh, everybody for listening. This is a good morning, comrade. Bye bye.